Hello, and welcome to the Almost LA podcast. My name is Aiden. My name is Audra. All right. <laughs> Did you have a good? I feel like a robot every time I do that. Hi, Aiden. We haven't podcasted in a while because you had a lung infection. I had a lung infection. I've been searching for apartments because I'm about to move out. Lots of stuff. Midterms, always. You were sick for three weeks? I was sick for a while, yeah. We tried to record one minute. day and you couldn't stop coughing. It's been awful. Yeah. You had to go to the emergency room or urgent my care. The, my cough's pretty much gone now. Good. It's still very like, when I'll cough, I'll be like, blah, blah, blah. like I sound like really demonic and it's mm-hmm. scary, but it's not as bad as it was when I had whatever I had. Um, so that's good. Bronchitis or whatever. Lung inf- yep. just lung infection. Very vague. Uh, yeah, I know. My... <laughs> my uh, my AC in my car is broken still. I don't know if I've talked about that. Probably not. But it's real hot in my car all the time, and it's not very fun. <laughs> hot in I LA. Mean, literally. LA, no AC. I've, it's, I've... I mean, oh, my God, it's so hot all the time. And, <laughs> and I it's, went to fi- it's really hot this weekend, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went outside today because we were helping somebody move into their new apartment, and I was like, oh, this is why I stay inside all day during the weekend. <laughs> Um, but so last Wednesday, it's Monday now, Labor Day. Last Wednesday, um, I went to Glendale Nissan to fix my AC. Guy said, uh, and then I was going to look at apartments the next day. So the guy said, oh, this is going to take more than a day. So if you need your car tomorrow, you can't do it today. Bring it back Monday. I said, Monday? He goes, yeah. All right. I was like, all right, I'll be back Monday. Same time. And that's uh, waking up at 6.50, driving over to Glendale Nissan, dropping it off around 7.10. So, everybody said this was chill. Woke up this morning, was like, hmm, because it's Labor Day, maybe they're closed. Checked, open 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. or whatever it was. I went, they closed. So now, I'm pissed. And I was way too tired today. I got Phil's coffee after I went there because I was mad. And I needed to get some nice coffee to not be bad. So wait, I was still mad after I drank it. When you, uh, <laughs> I was so still mad. So when you're mad, you spend money. Yes. And then it doesn't fulfill you. Yes. So you shouldn't have spent money. Yes. All Thank right, you. mom. Thank but you. But what can you do? So then I went home, amped on coffee. And wait, very what's mad. Phil's coffee? Is that Phil, is that your? Some, it's your I don't know, you, it, it's are you weird. over Starbucks? No, definitely not over Starbucks, but Starbucks is going to give me literally diabetes, so I need to stop going there because it's so bad for you. Like, Phil's coffee was like, I don't know if it's good for you or not, but it tastes like uh, coffee where they add like a little bit of stuff and it's good, and Starbucks tastes like they put a coffee bean in like your caramel drink, unless you get like whatever, but I can't go there and get a healthy drink because it's so good. Because you're drinking sugar, not coffee. Yeah. Okay. So, anything else? And then today you made a music video. No, completely oh. wrong. Actually, you're compl- that whole sentence was completely wrong. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I didn't make a music video. I'm, I'm very hot where I am. I'm sweating. I can't turn on the AC or do anything because, like, I recording. Was like, <laughs> we were just talking about this before we started recording. I'm like, so Saturday night, my friend James recorded his music video, and I helped. And then Mom just said, so you today recorded the music video Monday. I, don't, no. I also don't know what day it is. Okay, go ahead. Oh, right. Well, yeah, I mean, long weekends are weird like that. But yep. So, yeah, Saturday. Um, What's the James, song called? I don't know. I should probably get that information, but I don't have is it, it. Is it called More Money, More Money, More Money? I was, I, the roles have been reversed from all our fun times in L.A. with Seth, and I was just helping as like a crew, basically. I was basically just a crew member mm-hmm. on this music video shoot, so 
Uh, yeah, I wasn't doing anything too special. It was Saturday. We wanted no sunlight, or he wanted no sunlight, so we shot it after the sun went down, after we got back from one of their choir performances. Um, and basically, it was a backdrop and lots of fake money and girls and whatever. Very fun. And uh, So, 80s I was just, rap video? Uh, any rap video, actually. Oh, okay. And, um, but for white kids? No, actually, James is, I believe, African-American. Oh, well, I don't know James. Sorry, James. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I'm just looking at you and all your your what? girlfriend that you said was in the music video, and I'm assuming it was just a bunch of white kids. No, it's okay. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a very, like, white, oh, let's record a music video for my rap song. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of girls and money and, like, my dad's a lawyer, but um, so me. Um, I'm excited to but, see yeah. it. It was fun. Is he gonna put it up That's... on YouTube, or what's he gonna do with what's he gonna do with it? I don't know. He, I mean, they recorded it on. He has a VHS player, which I hadn't seen. I was like, oh, look a dinosaur. Um, but he recorded it on <laughs> like an old camera. <laughs> oh, that's where cool. Where they have tape. Yeah, yeah, old camera. They have tape, and then you do like something with the tape, and then you like convert it to some other tape thing. Very stupid. Wow. And that's... then you convert that tape into the VHS player, and I guess, and then somehow you get that to a computer. I have no idea how that would work. Wow. That I just sounds... told him I was like, ah, no, nah, just use the cloud. <laughs> You sound very technical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that's it for me, though. Now I'm just so tired because <laughs> the music video ended at 4 a.m. And then I slept until 3 p.m. the next day. So. All right. Well, now it's Monday, so you shouldn't be tired. Well, I'm still tired. It's like jet lag. Oh, you're also 12. Okay. Oh, and then we're going to see Elton John next weekend. Oh, right. Elton John next week, and we're going to Vegas to see Elton John. Yeah, we're going to Vegas to see Elton exciting. John and buy Aiden a bunch of expensive clothes and gamble and maybe give Aiden like $10,000. But um... no, Well, none of that's happening either, so. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Look, I guess I was wrong and you were wrong. So, <laughs> All there <right>. we go. <laughs> Wait, uh, where is he performing? Uh, Arena? I think so. Yeah. Cool. I'm too maybe. hot to think about it. I'm literally sweating from all over. Okay. But okay, let's do this. Jump right in. Not really, um, after my rambling for five minutes, but yeah, let's jump right in. <laughs> okay. This week, take two. I think we got through maybe a paragraph of this before you had coughing up a lung, so to speak. Yep. yep. Um, we are talking about Alexander Pantages. Of the Pan- oh, sorry about that. Of the Pantages Theater. That threw me. Sorry. What happened? Did you like burp or something? Yeah, you moved your computer and it was like sandpaper in my ear. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> oops. We are audio professionals. Well, you, I thought you burped because you were like, we're talking about some blah blah, and then you went. Uh. Have you ever heard me burp? That's insulting. No, that's true. I, guess I not. don't burp. I can't. Yeah. That's probably why. You don't I eat any food. It's probably have so many problems. Oh, thanks. <laughs> what do you mean? You, your diet is very light. Very light food. I just ate two packets of ramen noodles, so, and I literally feel like shit. So let's not go about. It. Let's not go to any insulting food areas because right. I'll we, win on we that. We clearly fun. haven't done this in a while. Okay, Alexander <laughs> Pantages. We're at Pantages. The Hollywood Pantages Theater is located at six two three three Hollywood Boulevard on mm-hmm. at Hollywood and Vine. Alexander Pantages was born in Greece in eighteen sixty seven, possibly, possibly eighteen sixty eight. Historians debate the date. Nobody knows because he was a million years ago. Um, he traveled to Cairo, Egypt with his father, who was some type of businessman. And he ran away at age nine while they were in Cairo because he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> remember that? Dad, you uh, suck. I'm out. Yeah. I'm a full-blown runaway from Egypt. It means so crazy. Getting on my camel, trotting full speed 
out of here. <laughs> Across the ocean. <laughs> Across the ocean on his <laughs> swimming camel. A jet camel. And I feel like I live in Egypt right now because I'm so hot. <laughs> you keep saying that. Like I'm <laughs> literally sweating. <laughs> I'm such a baby. No, I don't need air conditioning. He never set foot in Greece again. Um, obviously, because he hated his dad. Yeah. To the ninth degree. He boarded a French ship and was a deckhand for two years. So, you know, chill for a nine and ten year old to be a yep. deckhand on a ship, which is obviously was very common back then. Sounds yep. crazy, but it was common. He finally jumped ship in Panama, where he helped the French with the construction of the canal. So back then, before the U.S. took it over, uh, the French were the first ones to start building the Panama Canal. Um, loads of people were dying because that's just what happened when you took on a humongous construction engineering project back in the day. Everybody, so um, if you cross over the Panama Canal, um, there you go, dead bodies everywhere. So the French <laughs> shut, they had to shut down the project. The U.S. took it over. Yeah. Um, but he worked on it when the French worked on it. I and like how it's, it's like, first of all, it's like the toughest nine-year-old of all time because yeah. a bunch of French people die or French people are just very weak. Either one, funny. <laughs> the way you said that you have this sentence where he helped the French with the construction of the canal like he's some like nine-year-old superhero that the French really <laughs> needed to help him. Like they're like, oh, thank God this guy's here. He's like, We're all dying and Alexander <laughs> yeah. Pantages, savant engineer at 11, <laughs> is saving the day. Exactly. <laughs> thank God you're here, Mr. Pantages. And he's like tiny in a little suit with yeah. a shovel. He's got a really small axe. <laughs> he's like, let's get this taken care of so ships can come through. Um... Yeah, so he did that, and he everyone on the crew ended up contracting malaria on top of all the major deaths, um, so it was a huge bummer, and they told him to move to a colder climate, because back then there, that was how they apparently cured malaria, and he ended up going to Seattle. Wait, um, so did he get malaria? Yeah, he got malaria, and the doctors oh, were like, so. get out of here, you're 12, go to Seattle, and he was like, that's yeah. cool, because I've lived everywhere and done everything, um, and when he got to Seattle, he was there for a bit. That didn't float his boat, so he went down to San Francisco to become a boxer, like Mickey Cohen, because apparently everybody in the late 1800s became boxers when they had nothing else to do. Because um, remember, we talked about that being like a popular new thing to do. Yeah. Um, during this time, he was also arrested for smuggling opium, you know, because what else are you going to do when you're 13 at this point, mm -hmm. it sounds like. Of course. Then he went to... Um, he left California and went to the Yukon Territory of Canada to try his luck during the Klondike Gold Rush. And this is where he met Klondike Kate Rockwell. Her name was Klondike Kate. Um, she was a bordello owner and popular dancer, and they went into the vaudeville burlesque theater business together. Vard Vardville. <laughs> cool, <Sorry>. Vardville. <laughs> Vardville. Vaudeville started in the late 1800s as primarily a men's only entertainment kind of thing in beer halls. Uh, there would be about 10 to 15 short kind of variety style acts of musicians, magic shows, comedians, um, trained animal acts, you know, like dogs jumping through hoops and stuff, and then like burlesque dancers. Lit. Yep. Eventually, a man named Tony Pater uh, created a clean variety show for New York families, um, and this was back in New York, obviously on the East Coast, uh, when he realized he could make more money and, and get a wider audience, 
And that's when the idea kind of spread through to the West Coast, up into uh, Canada at the time, where Pantages had like this light bulb moment where he's like, hey, let's capitalize on that and make like a family-friendly um, theater as well, instead of this like beer hall, Yukon, gold rush dudes, you know, um, and let's see what we can do. So they also, Alexander and Kate, had this like legendary love story. They would they were madly in love. Everybody loved them as a couple, but they were also like fought bitterly all the time. And he had originally promised Kate that he would marry her, made all these promises, promises. And then he like behind her back, like a scumbag went off and married somebody else, a musician named Lois Mendenhall. And four days after they got married, he told Kate that he got married to somebody else and Kate lost her mind and she sued him for breach of contract, which was popular back then. If you promised to marry somebody back then, it was like almost like a legal contract. So she sued him, um, and they eventually settled out of court, uh, and she kind of went away. They ended up remaining friends later on, but you know that was a big deal back then, and he was mm -hmm. kind of shows his character a little bit where he's a little bit of a scumbag. Um, Pantages claimed that in his first theater with Kate that he made $3,000 a day for four years. Um, but the half million dollars he made was finally lost in bad deals and stuff. So they were banking, obviously, back then. So yeah, with the wild. Yeah, with his remaining four grand um, after the settlement and stuff with her, he moved to Seattle and he bought the Crystal Theater in 1903. Um, he was an illiterate man he spoke broken english and he had a really thick greek accent uh, he was ridiculed by his peers and they fought bitterly against him being in the theater uh, the city's theatrical establishments so he was kind of the outsider obviously um, his inability to book great attractions forced him to branch out a little bit so instead of just being a great booker and getting great acts and making a ton of money he kind of booked mediocre acts but opened multiple theaters like chains of theaters instead and that's how he kind of created his money so he was in spokane denver davenport iowa and up into canada um, and then into california eventually uh, he was double crossed quite a bit um, because of this outsider type of uh you know th image that he had and this kind of led him to uh be very independent in his career and do everything for himself so one of his famous quotes was I have no partners except the wife and children I want to direct everything myself I want to decide everything myself if I stop I am lost it is my way cool intense uh, he ran the Crystal Theater by himself which I just basically said and repeated myself he was mm -hmm. uh it was a motion picture house with vaudeville acts between the films so the way that it worked was like all day long you would start out with a couple vaudeville acts so a magician would come up a comedian would come up a dancer would do whatever then they'd show a movie right then you'd sit through your movie and then more vaudeville acts would come on and then they'd show another movie and then a more vaudeville acts it was like literally like an all-day thing in that kind of format um and the admission to his theaters at the time were 10 cents. And by 1920, Pantages owned about 30 theaters throughout U.S. and Canada, and he had contracts with 60 more. So the contracts were him basically um, saying that he was going to book certain shows or, or, you know, whatever into those theaters instead of actually owning the physical theater. The chain of theaters was called the Pantages Circuit. And vaudeville troops from England and all over the East Coast would come out west here to perform 
at his circuit. One of the famous troops that performed uh, in this circuit was the Sullivan and uh, Constantine circuit, which was the prestigious Fred Carnot comedy troupe from England who came over in 1908. So on top of Pantages circuit, there was this uh, Constantine, which I'm going to talk about in a second, this guy who also had a famous circus. There was kind of these two famous circuits going on. Orpheum was another circuit. Um, these were like the powerful theater guys. So the Fred Carnot comedy troupe was from England, came over in 1908, and one of their main performers was Charlie Chaplin. He started with the troupe in England at 19, and he came over to the U.S. when he was 22. And his act, The Inebriated Swell, was an instant hit. It made, um, he, he made himself up with makeup to look much older, and he acted like a drunken fool. And he would transform this character that he did on Vaudeville into his famous silent film persona, The Tramp, which ended up becoming a movie and became kind of his signature character uh, that a lot of people remember. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Aiden. Oh, yeah. The Tramp. And th- so, you know, this sort of the famous scene in one of his, in the Tramp movies was he's, you know, he's kind of, he walks like side to side, kind of shuffling, and he's twirling his cane. He's got like kind of the, you know, the, I don't know, the derby hat, I think they're called, those... Hats. Like not a full top hat, but like the half. Yeah, it's kind of the rounded kind of top hat, you know. Um, yeah. And his understudy, which I had never heard of, which was kind of cool, was in, when he was in America. His understudy was Stan Laurel, who was later the Laurel and Hardy fame, the comedy troupe Laurel and Hardy. Oh. So that's kind of where he started. That's cool. So I'm gonna play one of my favorite Charlie Chaplin songs called "Smile," and he wrote this for his movie Modern Times, which came out in 1936. But the lyrics to this song weren't written until the 50s, so it was originally just an instrumental song. But here's Smile from Charlie Chaplin. He wrote the music. There you go. All right. Kind of sad. It is a sad song, but it's pretty. Yeah. Have you never heard that song before? I don't think so. I used to sing it to you when you were a baby. Really? So thanks for remembering that. Whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a baby. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. Another popular act during vaudeville was the pianist UB Blake, who, um, with this is kind of a side note later on with uh, his partner Noble Sissel Sissy sorry wrote and directed Shuffle Along which was the first uh, Broadway musical written and directed by African Americans hmm. so vaudeville for about the first decade it was around didn't use African American performers at all and then when they did start using them they would only put on one black performer on the bill at one time so it was like a law or something or an unsaid rule <laughs> that you couldn't have more than one on the bill 
So, to yeah, kind of... I, and they call that separate but equal, apparently. <laughs> Actually, this would have been before segregation. Uh, no. Was... Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Well, not... Segre- no. They were still segregated, yes. In the midst of segregation, actually. I was thinking, for some reason, I was thinking that segregation started in 1963 or whatever, but that's definitely not the case. No, that's the opposite. Um, yeah. So, to kind of overcome this and, um, you know, get more you know, black acts on at the same mm-hmm. time or even together to perform together because a lot of these African-American acts knew each other by reputation just, be, you know, because they're like, oh, hey, you played over here with them. Oh, yeah, well, I'm over here playing with them kind of thing. Yeah. But well, they, plus so, they would have, they would have, wouldn't have, uh, like, white actors just playing blackface? Um, they, yeah, that was a thing. I don't know so much, you know. Not I, necessarily in the vaudeville stuff? I, yeah, possibly. I don't know the history of that, so I don't want to talk for it. I don't oh, okay. know. I'd have to look into that. That could be a whole mm-hmm. other thing. But yes, that happened a lot, and it was awful. And but I don't know the history enough about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, so Yubi and his partner Sissy, they kind of teamed together, and they were like, "Hey, let's take some of our vaudeville skits and put it to music." And you know, um, because they kind of toured all over the place, and he's like, "Let's force this thing where we can start working together," kind of thing. And they took this, you know, did it, and they wrote this. Broadway show uh, shuffle mm-hmm. along so I'm going to play the song I'm Just Wild About Harry which was the most popular number from the production shuffle along interestingly enough about this song when African Americans would talk about falling in love or any kind of intimacy it had to be like when they were doing skits and stuff it had to be in a comedic fashion like they were almost making fun of the love kind of thing like it was like a folly because mm-hmm white audiences thought black love was comedy or funny like to them it wasn't serious so the um this song i'm just wild about harry and harry's wild about me is about two african-americans being crazy about each other like being in love yeah and it was actually a very taboo song back then because it it was taboo? taboo is like um like kind of risque for the time because they were oh. showing black love as you know like they actually were in love with each other like a not serious ju- thing not, not just, just like a joke. yeah not just a goofy thing yeah. okay so this is i'm just wild about harry written by ub blake There you go. Cool. You heard that song before? Nope. Awesome. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yay. Awesome. Um, so another like famous vaudeville performer, her name was Baby Rose Marie, 
and she started in vaudeville at five. She had her own radio show at the age of six. So if you feel bad about your life, there you go. Yeah, that sucks. Her dad was a vaudeville actor, and his name was Frank Mazetta, a.k.a. Frank Curley. He went by Frank Curley on the stage, and, he, and you know it was very popular back then. A lot of vaudeville um, couples would marry within the vaudeville community, and then their kids would obviously be part of the show. So she grew up in it. It was her thing. Um, she, just kind of a side note, late, later on in life um, became a pretty famous actor, and she was on the Dick Van Dyke show. So, and she, her name, her name on the show was Sally Rogers. I loved the Dick Van Dyke when I was little. You, Dick Van Dyke, for anybody who doesn't know, he's, for your generation, he's the guy from Mary Poppins. Yep. The, you know, whatever. Okay. How old is he now? 90? He's got to be in his 80s. Yeah. He's Killing old. It. Oh, Night of the Museum. He was in Night of the Museum, too. He's one yeah. of the old guards, right? Okay. Yep. So... When she was a child, she did 17 recordings between 1930 and 1938. So I'm going to play one for you. This one was the one that became um, the biggest national hit. She was backed by a big band, and it's called um, "It's Called Say That Say That You Were Teasing Me." Which it's called is, "The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow." <laughs> it's called. Yeah, she was kind of like the. Uh, she was kind of like the Shirley Temple, you know. Mm-hmm. Of, her little you know environment there but say that you were teasing me which seems highly inappropriate for a child to sing um, <laughs> what the hell I yeah that. yeah like, uh, uh i think she meant to say tag yeah oops <laughs> tag you're it okay baby rosemary enough of that because it's problematic (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll start some controversy (laughs) so there you go um okay so while alexander pantages was in seattle this is a little very wild west scenario i'm going to tell you about which i thought was interesting um he had a rival named john considine senior and that's the guy I talked about before yeah. who had some of these famous circuits going on. Oh, okay. okay. He ruled the Seattle theater district for years and years and years and the gambling dens and stuff. Um, at one point, Wyatt Earp came into town and tried to rival John. And Wyatt ignored all of John's threats. And, but, and despite John threatening him a ton, became s- hugely successful. And then John eventually ruined him and ran Wyatt Earp out of town. So this guy was like, bad dude, whatever. Um, he also had a beef uh, with William Meredith, who used to work for John Considine, but was now a, a policeman. So mm. William worked for him, left, and then became a policeman. So when John started calling Meredith corrupt, Meredith tried to destroy him by saying that John had an affair with a 17-year-old contortionist, clearly, oh, apart the vaudeville act. Okay. <laughs> 
John demanded that he retract the affair accusation, but Meredith told anyone um, that would listen that he was going to kill John. Okay, so there's <laughs> oh this whole God. thing going on. So on June 25th... What, uh, first of all, what what year do you think people s- stopped seriously threatening to kill other people? <laughs> that still like, happens. That seems like anybody over the age of 25, you could just be like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill this guy. And everybody like, all right. You're nuts. Chill. Yeah. Like you mean threatening somebody and literally like going out and getting a gun the next day in the streets, like shooting them up in the streets. Yeah, or like dueling. Dueling. Oh, well, I mean? that's a different thing because people threaten to kill each other all day and do it. <laughs> so. yeah, that's mostly Twitter, though. <laughs> Maybe. That's mostly it, Trump on Twitter threatening you're in to a, nuke other countries. Oh, your little bubble you're in is cute. Yeah. Um, okay, so on June 25th, 1901, John spent the day playing pool with his brother. Um, and he had a sore throat that day. He knew of Meredith's threats, because uh, somebody obviously around town had a big mouth. And so he armed himself with a gun, just just in case. And when they stopped playing pool, he's like, hey, my, th- sore th- uh, my throat's sore. Let's head over to the drugstore. I want to get some throat lozenges. Adorable. Which back then was probably straight meth. <laughs> yeah. um, just sitting yeah. on the shelf. It's literally a shot of vodka. (laughs) That's clearly just opium in a pill or something like that. (laughs) So they went by G.O. Guy's Drugstore, and they came upon Meredith, who just immediately shot John and missed. And then Meredith pushed John around the store, like, in a wacky tussle. Um, And somebody called the police at that point, and they were, like, pushing each other around. They got into the store. Um, Meredith ended up shooting the back of John's neck. And then also hit a boy messenger in the arm who was sitting at the, like, soda fountain counter drinking a sarsaparilla. <laughs> so he was just chilling, drinking a soda, watching this all go down? Yeah, and got shot in the arm. He didn't run out or anything? And by the way, he's probably six, <laughs> the boy <laughs> <Yeah>. messenger. <laughs> so John wrestled Meredith to the ground and dragged him outside. And then John's brother hit Meredith in the head with the gun that they had. And yelled, quote, stand back, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Damn. Which I find impossible that that was actually what happened. Something to the effect. I don't know how they can quote him on that, but whatever. It sounds very <laughs> movie-ish. So John then turned around, shoots Meredith three times, point blank in the chest, killing him Ooh. instantly. And then turned around, handed him the, a cop that was next to him, his gun, and surrendered and said, take me in. Damn. John was eventually acquitted. Um, and then later on, this rival between Pantages and John, um, John's son, they all went to L.A. at some point, which I'll talk about in a second. But then John's son became a, Holly, a famous Hollywood film producer and married Alexander Pantages's daughter. Oh, wow. Um, but just kind of shows you the character of John. And then, you know, Alexander is kind of like this hardcore guy. So these guys were like no shit you know they were like hardcore yeah so all these dudes ended up in los angeles around the turn of the century um and in 1910 1926 was kind of like the big um vaudeville circuit going on in la at the time and they had acts like the bathing suit girls uh macy's models mammy which can't be a good thing and fourth of july were some of the popular (laughs) acts mammy why, why mammy can't be a good thing what does that mean and mammy i think is an old like african-american you know lady term that i think is now like horribly offensive 
Uh, so they had uh, one celebrating America, two naked two, girl shows, <laughs> and then they're just making fun of black people for no reason. It, that was probably I mean, your blackface thing, yes, that I'm sure. Just, Man, I mean, Mammy is not just, good. They apparently just had to throw it in there. Uh-huh. I'm guessing. That's just, I'm guessing. I could be the, totally bathing wrong. Bathing suit girls sounds very weird. <laughs> bathing suit. Just girls walking around bathing suits. Yeah, I know. It's very okay. edgy. So in 1910, uh, the first Pantages Theater was opened on Broadway down in Los Angeles, um, downtown. And they leased the building that that was in. And that is the oldest remaining theater in the historic Broadway theater district down there. Uh, They sold it eventually, and the name was changed in 1928 to the Arcade Theater. They closed it, and now the lower portion is a retail store. It's been like that since about 1993. But you can still go down there. um, If you look up, like, Arcade Theater, it kind of shows you which building it is. And that Mm -hmm. was that building still down there. The second one that he opened was uh, the Warner Theater at 410 West and 7th and Hill downtown. Um, And that one opened in 1920. And he had this one built. And it's a nine-story steel frame building. Um, It was built in an era when most people were using concrete support. And this one was a steel frame support building. So it was kind of cool. And it was designed by architect B. Marcus Priteca. I think it's it's P-R-I-T-E-C-A. It was L.A.'s second theater built for the Pantages Vaudeville Circuit. And the 16th for Pantages in the country. So at this point, he has 16 Pantages theaters. It was an ornamental uh, bow arts building that contained shops along the street level, offices on the upper floors, and had uh, 2,200 seats. Much of the oh, interior wow. of the theater was Baroque ornamental uh, ornamentation of the upper part remains, so that's still intact. Uh, there's an elaborate uh, coved auditorium ceiling, features sunbursts, like murals like gold like sunburst murals surrounded by egyptian oriental greek and roman figures and the figures are still intact um although a modern chandelier kind of obscures the sunburst at this point but the figures are still there to this day and then flanking the stage are the original corinthian columns um, and the balcony still has original seats so i believe you can actually go it's obviously not a working theater, but I believe you can actually, I might be wrong, but you can still get um, tours and go inside and see that part of the theater if you're mm. into the architecture and the decor of it. Um, so the Hollywood Pantages Theater uh, is located, what I said, Hollywood and Vine. And this is where Pantages screened an array of talkies when talkies came out and also movies made lively with vaudeville performances in between shows like i said earlier it opened on june 4th 1930 um it was designed by the same guy that did the warner theater one or that you know that's now the warner theater but the second mm-hmm. pantages one and it is the epitome of like our um art deco era from the sidewalk to the stage the pantages um has like chevrons the chevron um pattern zigzag starburst and exotic figures you can see tons of pictures online because it's been restored it's a 2691 seat theater originally it was 2812 um it features lavish 
a lavish forecourt whose ceiling is gold, silver, and bronze colored starbursts over the starbursts are like a big deal all over if you see the pictures. All kinds of geometric patterns, very art, art um, deco kind of thing. Um, it was supposed to be, interestingly enough, a 12, there's supposed to be, a, there's the front that you see now, if you look at the Pantages Theater, look online to pictures, I'll post them on Instagram. There was also supposed to be a 12 story tower that overlooked Hollywood and Vine. Um, but as we're gonna talk about in a second, Alexander Pantages came into some serious trouble with the law and the tower was never built. So when some people go to the building now um, and they're kind of like know a little bit about architecture, they look at the building and they're like, hey, this building looks unfinished. So now look at the building and then now look at it with new eyes saying like, hey, if there's a 12 floor tower here, it looks unfinished. You know, you don't know it at first, but then when you know the history of it, you're like, oh yeah, it does look unfinished. So the theater stage and backstage areas were designed to accommodate lavish vaudeville performances as well as films. But as the depression kind of wore on, the live, act sta um, live stage acts proved to be too expensive and the theater, uh, with an occasional exceptions, became an all movie venue. So the vaudeville stuff eventually with the depression kind of went away and especially with movies and talkies coming in, that'd be kind of like a, a lost art, so to say. Um, at the same time that the Pantages on Hollywood was super popular, there, it was a very bustling theater district down there. It had the El Capitan, the Egyptian Theater, and Grauman's Chinese Theater, and the Pantages were all right there on, this, on the street together. So if you can picture it back in the day, weekends, nights, you know, people in their lavish gowns and cars rolling up all along Hollywood Boulevard right there, getting out and going to theater shows. It's pretty cool. I'm sure there's pictures online that you can find it that too back in the the day so alexander pantages was as i said a little bit ago was in deep trouble in 1930 uh, when the theater debuted so right as his his hollywood big theater was going to debut um wall street crashed in 1929 and pantages was accused of raping eunice pringle a vaudeville Ooh. dancer. Okay, Eunice was 15. Okay, well that's Sometimes good. you read she's 17, but the LA Times issue September 4th, 1929 article that I think is probably a little more reliable about her age than like Wikipedia said she was 15 years old. Uh, Eunice said that Pantages attacked her in his downtown Los Angeles office after they discussed possible stage roles for her. Um, apparently she had, this was her third audition according to her. Um, Randolph Hearst, who was the newspaper mega gazillionaire. William Randolph Hearst. Yep. Uh, his sensational newspaper at the time was the LA Examiner, and it was considered yellow journalism, which is yellow journalism, if you don't know, is really crude and sensational journalism. So like your TMZs kind of thing, right? Yep. Um, they portrayed Pantages as cold, astute, too, quote, European and always alone, you know, like he liked his independence kind of thing. So he just, you know, they were making him out to be a villain, clearly. And Eunice was always portrayed in the articles as being photographed with her family. She was very sweet and very vulnerable. So they were painting this picture of this old evil dude and this younger sweet girl, which I'm sure they both were. Um, Pantages said that he had been framed and was pleading not guilty. 
The court ba battles that followed were a huge media sensation all through Los Angeles. Um, so the frame job that Alexander Panchages was referring to was this. He said that Joe Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's dad, our former president who was assassinated, <laughs> Joe Kennedy, his dad, he was very big into vaudeville and owning theaters as, at the time, as well as bootlegging a boatload of alcohol in, during Prohibition. That's kind of how he made his money. He was in, um, he was into trying to get Pantages to sell his theaters, and Pantages was basically saying no. So Pantages claims that Joe Kennedy hired Eunice to file a false rape claim for $10,000 so that Pantages would be forced to sell to Kennedy. Um, I don't really know if I believe this, because Eunice, I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth when I read the evidence here. There was no evidence that they could find that Eunice had ever taken any money or had ended up with a large sum of money. So the 10 grand back then would be equivalent to $149,000 and like $149,791 today. So that's a significant amount of money. Yeah. Um, and she basically disappeared, quit acting, got married, and had a very low-key, humble life. Um, she died in 1996 and never wavered from what she said. So I tend to believe her, obviously, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And he was, I think, just making a claim of, you know, being framed because he got busted. Um, Pantages, this first go-around of his trial, he was convicted to 50 years. So he was actually in jail during the opening of the Hollywood Pantages Theater. Um, the Times reported that he listened to the radio coverage of the opening, opening night um, of his theater from his hospital cot in the county jail. He was having some medical issues at the time, so that's why he was in a hospital cot, because he was having some, I think, some heart issues or something like that at the time. Um, he, the first show that night that premiered at the theater was the debut of the uh, Floridora Girl, starring Marion Davis. And oddly enough, it's about a, a um, chorus girl who falls for a rich guy. Uh, he assumes that she's a gold digger, and she assumes he's out for one thing, AKA wink wink sex. She finds out he's engaged, and they drift apart. He eventually loses his money, and then rebuilds himself up, makes a new fortune, and comes back to the theater to find her, and apparently go on to have a great love affair, whatever. So that's a little strange. <laughs> but that's the, okay. the gist of that movie, oddly enough, about poor girl, rich guy at the theater. So at the time, when he was going through this trial and during the opening, he was incarcerated at San Quentin until late June 1930. Um, He'd had several heart attacks and was hospitalized often. And then he was finally released on a $100,000 bond. He finally was granted a retrial two years later. And this time he hired the lawyer, Jerry Geisler, which we talked about in the Mickey yep. Cohen thing again, who was the celebrity lawyer, which we we're going to have to do a whole ep other episode about him. He handled Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio's divorce. Like he had a lot of high profile celebrity cases throughout his career. Um, he was actually able to dismiss, dismiss Pringle's account as improbable. So he basically slandered her to the nines. He questioned her moral character, 
um, and suggested that she had ulterior motives. He said that Pantages was uh, 67 years old at the time and that she could have easily fought him off. So it was ridiculous that she couldn't get away. He also said that the office space that she was supposedly raped in was too small to be raped in, that she couldn't possibly have been raped in a tiny office. Okay. And said that she auditioned three times for Pantages and hadn't been raped before, so why did she get raped the third time? So which, to, according to him, that means she's a liar. Mm-hmm. So Pantages ended up winning his appeal in late 1931 and walked free. Um, but his character and reputation was completely destroyed after that. The trials left him financially ruinous. Um, he sold his Hollywood Landmark Theater in 1932 to the Fox West Coast Theater. So he ended up having to sell anyway, but he didn't sell it to Joe Kennedy. And then after the Depression, um, it was too expensive to keep the vaudeville acts, like I said before. So they were essentially dropped except for um, rare, rare occasions when they kind of tried to bring it back. And it was primarily ended up being a movie theater. And today it's primarily um, basically theater. Um, but unfortunately, the Pantages luck did not, bad luck didn't end there. A, shoot, a few short months after the rape accusation, Pantages' wife was accused of vehicular manslaughter when her car struck an automobile. The driver was Joe Rokomoto, and he later died on the operating table after the accident. Um, supposedly, Lewis Pantages was attempting to pass a car on the left on Sunset Boulevard. She was going east, and she struck Mr. Uh, Rokomoto's car, and he was going west. Mm. Some witnesses said she was drunk and could smell alcohol in her breath. Um, but all of a sudden, a surprise witness who said he saw the accident and helped the victims claimed a third car was involved and that Lois was trying to pass uh, the truck when she saw it when, and she struck Joe's car. So he, like, popped up out of nowhere. This witness's name was John Conterno, and he admitted um, that his first call after witnessing the accident was to Mr. Pantages, Alexander Pantages, but he was denied being offered any money for his testimony. Hmm. So that sounds all shady. So I'm thinking he knew who she was because they were a very high-profile couple having dinners all the time. They were always in the paper. The daughter yeah. was always in the paper. And, uh, you know, he knew who to call. You know, Alexander paid him off to say it wasn't his wife's fault, basically. Um, so Howard Hughes acquired the Pantages Theater in the late 40s and moved his personal offices to the building's second floor. And his ghost is said to haunt patrons as they leave the building, even to this day. Um, the sinks. So, okay. So, Howard Hughes, if you know anything about him, do you know how quirky he was, Aiden? That's that weird billionaire guy. Like, yeah, who had all okay, the aviation yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was him in the movie. I think his movie was called Aviation. Um, he was very eccentric, especially later in life. Had a lot of quirks, OCD issues, you know, whatever. So he had, a, he was a germaphobe, and he, when he took over the Pantages in the 40s, built sinks in every room and showers on every floor, because obviously he had needed to shower and wash his hands all the time. So employees were required to wash their hands regularly, and female companions that he brought up to be with, like his girlfriends that he had numerous of, they were required to shower upon entering the building so they wouldn't bring in any outside contamination. Mm. <laughs> Hughes lived on the top floor um, apartment of the Pantages. 
And legend has it that a tunnel was built from the Pantages Theater to the Broadway Hollywood, which was a hotel across the street, and that's how he snuck his girlfriends in. And that was a rumor for years and years and years and years, but um, no tunnel has ever been found. There was even, when they came in to build the Metro line down that area, um, some say it looks like there might have been tunnels filled in during the 50s, mm -hmm. but they can't really find evidence that there was a tunnel being filled in either. So that seems to be kind of a big rumor. So from 1949 to 1959, uh, the Pantages Theater was the site of the Academy Awards, so they hosted them for 10 years. Um, and Pantages, Alexander Pantages, died in his sleep from heart failure on February 17, 1936. He was survived by his wife, Lois, his two sons, Rodney and Lloyd, and his daughter, Carmen, who was married to, uh, you know, his rival's son, and his stepdaughter, Dixie. His estate was reported to be a mere $5,026 at the mm. end of his life. There's a great book um, called American Zeus, The Life of Alexander Pantages Theater Mogul, um, written by this guy named Lagos that's out, which is really cool. Um, in 2000, the Pantages Theater received a $10 million restoration and upgrade. So go check it out. It's a beautiful theater. And Blue Man Group is coming September 24th. All right. So we, on our way out this week, are going to play the Blue Man Group song called The Current. So go check out the Blue Man Group, which I've never seen, but I want to go to. Yeah, and I said cool. we should go see it in Vegas, but I was denied. So. Oh, why? I don't know. I guess I'm not allowed to go. Oh, cool. <laughs> I don't know. That's a... Um... There you go. Are you sleeping? It looks like you're sleeping. Did you mm. fall asleep during my Pantages stories? No. No? All right. We're going to play you guys out. Thanks for sticking in. Sorry we were gone for so long. And we are actually going to put this out and then have a short out this week as well. Right? Yeah. Well, next weekend. You could probably release it, right? Maybe. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Thanks, guys. Here is the Blue Man Group song, The Current. All right. Thanks for listening.